0: To be successful in this business, my approach is I've got to move these people from being unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent. I want them to know that they don't know squat. Simple as that. And there's a bunch of things that we do along the way when we get a client who comes in, hey, what's your best rate? And we educate them and they walk out somewhat defeated, right? Somewhat defeated, but at least they know they got me in their pocket. I'm their mortgage mechanic, right? So they walk in thinking they know a whole bunch. They walk out of this conversation feeling crap. You know, Jim asked me, what are five other things that I care about besides rate? And most people, it's a blank. They don't have anything to ask. And that's the first step, right? And here, right off the bat, they know that they don't know very much. And did you know that? It's my classic line Did you know that? All right? Oh, well, didn't your bank tell you this? Didn't your bank tell you that? And again, I spend the whole 15 minute conversation. Trying to move them from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent.
1: The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. So sort of the infamous or famous Jim Trelukas. And Jim has been on the podcast with me several times. If you go back and search his name, you'll see fantastic episodes I've done. So we talked about a couple of different things today. First, we talk about how Jim helped a client go from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent to realize that, heck, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I should trust you to help me. I think this is a fantastic strategy, but also, dang, it's the truth. Clients do not understand their choices of their mortgages. We talk about a strategy that Jim uses for renewals. And this is a ninja strategy that I have not heard of before. And you're gonna love it. You're gonna be like, holy crap, this is amazing. And then finally, we talk about term selection and how it's changed for Jim in the current market. Lots of great stuff in this conversation. I think you're gonna love it. Also, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about taking advantage of communication channels in this episode. Uh, Before we get started, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform, designed specifically for Canadian brokers. It's super easy to use. I like things that are easy. As the borrower is filling out the app, it's starting to know exactly what documents that they need. and sends them a notification. When that app comes in, you can then search Lender Spotlight for rates and guidelines to figure out where to send it. And finally, when you go to hit submit, all of the key data from the application goes into the lender notes called Smart Submission Notes. It's extremely efficient, makes your lenders happy. Check it out at lenders.com finmo. Check out this conversation I have with Jim. Hey Jim, welcome back to the show.
0: Hey, Scott, thanks for having me. How are things going?
1: Things are amazing, man. So quite a few topics I want to discuss with you today. And you can go back and listen to several of our other podcasts that we've done to kind of get a background story. But I guess the first thing is, is that, you know, the market has obviously shifted. Last year was crazy. And even halfway into this year was pretty great. So could you share sort of some of the things you're doing to adjust to this current market reality? And is your business down? I mean, you know, what have you noticed? I guess those kind of two questions jammed together there. Yeah, so
0: everyone's business is down from 2021, or they should be, right? 2021 was an anomaly. The industry was up 40%. Everyone should have been up at least 40%. So up until, I want to say, end of August, we were spot on to 21, so pretty happy about that. But September fell off about 30% from last September, and October fell off, I want to say about 40% from last October. And as a matter of fact, this October was my worst October since 2008. So it has come off, which was expected.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. I was talking to Ron Butler. He told me that he calls a bunch of owners of brokerages every month and just checks in and sees. And I'm like, so what do they tell you? And he goes, ah. some of them lie to me. They tell me, oh, things are amazing. And he's like, there's no way they're amazing. You're full of crap. So mm-hmm. I love that you're also a strike shooter and you don't tell people that, oh, yeah, like I'm still crushing it. It's like, no, it's down. That's OK. So that's the situation. But then now, what do you do about it? So you know, how do you market or what are you looking to do right now in this market?
0: Well, the first thing I do, everyone should be doing, is do not compare yourselves to 2021, because that'll be, you know, not a pleasant comparison. Compare yourself to 2020 and hopefully you're above 2020. That's the first thing. But, you know, all systems go. Not much has changed for us, to be quite honest. Let me back up. Typically, my year, my business is typically 30% purchases, 40% refis, and 30% renewals. Last year was 40% purchases, but this year's come back to the norm for us, which is good, right? It's somewhat diversified. So when sales are down 50%, well, my business is only down 15%. So that's the first thing. Now, it doesn't help that on the refi side, a lot less people are qualifying at 7.5%. So that makes it a little more difficult. But the renewal market is great and it's humming along nice. And we've always had a pretty successful. Campaign going after renewals because how we do it and what we do. We beat the banks all the time because we're always in there a lot earlier than they are. They're usually in six months before renewal. We go 13 months before renewal. And most of our renewals end up through our discussion and then becoming a refinance anyway. So, you know, we're still doing our campaigns. Like we have about 13 campaigns or so that we run in and out every single year. I would say two thirds of my business are direct result of these campaigns. And from my past clients, if you will. And a third of my business is new clients from our corporate contracts or lawyers or planners, you name it. Uh, Right. So I would say honestly, not much has changed. we do what we've always done.
1: Right. Okay. So I'm gonna ask a little bit with the renewal stuff. And I know that this is just one of the many things that you do, but so you start at 13 months. Can you give me some like strategies or tactics for how you can be successful at renewals?
0: Sure, sure. So most brokers will go with their clients at renewals at four months because that's when they can hold the rate, which is logical. Most banks, however, will go with their clients six months before renewal and try and get them to renew early. We go 13 months for our fixed clients, by the way, not the variable clients. And we do 13 months because that's the point at which we're able to hold the rate for four months and then execute the transfer, if you will, nine months less a day before renewal, nine months less a day. That's a critical point because it's at that point where you can actually have a client pay three months interest rather than interest rate differential. And that's with most incumbent lenders because most do have what they call a six month product on a product sheet and that's where it works. If you're moving a client from a lender that does not have a six month term, then clearly that won't work. So you must know who you're competing against. So that's how we do it and it works. And this rising rate environment, by the way, and we've been doing this forever, in this rate, environment that we've been seeing since February, we've got a, probably a 90% success rate with this, right? So our client's going to look at it and say, okay, so we call them 13 months before, hey, let's hold the rate. Rates are rising, sure, no problem, Jim, go ahead and do it. We go back at them three months later or a month before it expires. We compare what's happened in the marketplace. Clearly, the rates have gone up quite a bit in the last five months. Everyone's taken up on this offer. The penalty is three months interest. It's an easy win. Closing files or half closed files the last couple of months at 3.5%, whereas today they're getting 5.5%, 5.7%, the average client saving 2% on a million-dollar mortgage, you can do the math on that, it's $100,000 savings over the five-year
1: term. Right. And by the way, this is why having somebody manage their mortgage is better than having it just sit in, right? Like you are doing this because you're managing their mortgage for them and you're not just like, hey, an order taker, you want fries with that. And so like, I can yeah, imagine be- when you talk to the client, let's say, so, okay, let's say I'm your client and you get me the three and a half percent. Cause you talked to me at 13 months instead of waiting till four mm-hmm. months out, you save me a hundred thousand bucks and you're talking to the next client and say, Hey, Mr. Client, just so you know, this is the type of thing we do all the time. In fact, in the last three months, we saved our clients X amount in interest because we are in front of this. It's going to be easy for me to be like, why am I going to trust someone else to do this for me?
0: Well, that's exactly right. And you know, part of our proposition is that our clients are our clients, not that they would start in this process and closing that deal, but they're our clients over the next 20 years. So, one of our promises is we're your mortgage mechanic for the next 20 years. We'll take care of you. Your bank won't. And by the way, you'll never figure it out. In other words, if you're on your own and you're shopping from bank to bank, you'll never figure it
1: out. They would never know to do that. Like, dude, I've been doing this for 16 years, you know. I would not think to deal with this whole idea of, you know, 13 months, you know, nine months, less a day versus the six month rate. Like, you know, that's just some ninja stuff. Like right now we can literally end the podcast and say, peace out, you know, peace (laughs) out. We're out of here. And you'd be like, okay, that was a great episode because that alone is pure gold.
0: Yeah. But wait, there's more.
1: Yeah. But Um, wait, exactly. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I mean, we have an advantage as mortgage brokers, you know, I've talked to a lot of broker friends of mine, and they're really upset up the marketplace. We are no longer and haven't been for a while, the lowest rate in the marketplace. If you're competing on rate, you're done. Unless, of course, you're one of the big guys who have built a great business on living on 40 or 50 basis points. But that's not most of us, right? Aside from those five or six firms, that's not us. You've got to build a business around Helping your clients, and it's funny through the coaching that we do under your firm. You know, one of the things I talk about to the students is, you know, most people, when it comes to mortgages, they're what I call unconsciously incompetent. In other words, they don't know very much in mortgages. However, they don't know that they don't know very much. So they're the most dangerous job.
1: type because they actually the sue. They're, the, They're worst. the worst. They don't even know. They don't know anything. Yeah. And our job. I like the to be, flat earthers. No offense to anybody who's listening who's a flat earther.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to be successful in this business, my approach is I've got to move these people from being unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent. I want them to know that they don't know squat. Simple as that. And there's a bunch of things that we do along the way when we get a client who comes in. Hey, what's your best rate? And we educate them. And they walk out somewhat defeated. Right, somewhat defeated, but at least they know they got me in their pocket. I'm their mortgage mechanic, right? So they walk in thinking they know a whole bunch. They walk out of this conversation feeling crap. You know, Jim asked me, "What are five other things that I care about besides rate?" And most people, it's a blank. They don't have anything to ask, and that's the first step, right? And here, right off the bat, they know that they don't know very much. And did you know that? It's my classic line: "Did you know that?" Right? Well, didn't your bank tell you this? Didn't your bank tell you that? Again, I spend the whole 15 minute conversation trying to move them from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent. In essence, what we're doing is we're creating doubt. All right. Client comes in. If you have a way of creating doubt in their mind and solving that doubt, race not even a discussion.
1: No. Right? Because again, what would the rate difference have to have been for somebody who didn't have their mortgage managed and that's $100,000 you save them because you're at the 13 month mark? Like it's just not even. Mathematically possible, like it's not, you know, one of those wins alone that is a game changing over the term of the amortization of your mortgage. One of those little tweaks is massive, right? Yeah,
0: that's one of the campaigns is the early renewal. We've got 13 that we do all the, you know consistently in year in and year out, and they're pretty successful, right? Here's the difference all of us have a CRM tool, right? All of us have tools that go out and touch our clients. My CRM tool touches my clients 50 times over the course of the five years, so what that doesn't mean very much. All that does Is keeps me top of mind. You know, who cares? Happy birthday, happy anniversary, change your furnace filter, happy Halloween. Who cares about that stuff? That means nothing, right? We've actually built a tool that actually creates value. So through these 13 campaigns, when we touch a client, we're only touching them if there's value. So what's value to a client? Right? What's value? Value could be saving them money, right? Value could be protecting them against themselves and the product and the marketplace. And value could be finding and solving their pain points, okay? So what I call POP, right? For me, POP is pain points, opportunity to save money, and protect your clients. There's a different framework within what we talk about in our training, but once you go down this path with a client, you've got them for life, right? So that's what I'm doing. I'm pushing that agenda even further. Last year, didn't push it as much. I couldn't, right? I got deals falling on my desk. I was too busy dealing with purchases. So this year and next year, even more so, will be the year of my pop.
1: What percentage of your clients are variable versus fixed, would you say?
0: Any given year, between 85 and 90%
1: are variable. Right. So then is there a different strategy that you do for a variable rate client on a renewal? I'm curious. You must have something different. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. So that's the easiest one. Everyone should be doing this. And that's looking through your database of anyone who's at a rate that's inferior to Teddy's Marketplace right right it also works out so we do that and you know we have our system that runs and you know I'll do a query on my spreadsheet believe
1: it or not and yeah, I'll say give me a check who- it's Excel made by Microsoft thank you Bill Gates Ding. <laughs>
0: that's right that's right but give me everyone who's got three years or more to go at prime minus 40 or less boom there's 200 names and all of a sudden right we hit. and my system actually not only figures it out for me but also runs my net savings. So my clients will really be communicated and say, "Hey, how would you like to save twenty-four thousand bucks?" So going back to my earlier point is that aside of my CRM, it's these data mining activities that we do, the thirteen that we do. A client gets touched only if there's value to be found. Right? We're not talking for the sake of
1: talking. Right? right. Yeah. If they hear from you, it's because they actually you've got something useful for them. Okay. So I think that's true. I think that renewals are going to be a big piece of this upcoming market. So, what is your sort of expectation in terms of when is it going to come back? Was this like, are we done? Are we all going to be working at Subway soon? No, just uh, I no, would probably go work, work at uh, Five Guys Burgers because I prefer uh, those. But don't
2: <laughs> do that. You <laughs> you 300 gym. You'd see me at three
1: hundred pounds, Jim. The burgers are yeah. delicious.
0: No, listen, it's tougher now. I mean, the deals are tougher, right? The qualifying is a lot tougher, right? But I tell you, we have a huge opportunity over the competition. As a mortgage professional, if you're able to create a framework around your business so that you can prove to the client that you're their guy for the next 20 years and show value while you're doing it, look, mortgages renew every four and a half, five years. That business is not going anywhere. Renewals are tougher because some don't qualify. Purchases are tougher because you're down, but we have an advantage over the banks in that if we position ourselves as the expert, and show what our value proposition is, you can't help but win. So will it be slower? Yes, I think it comes back in the spring. I think, you know, Canadians have a short memory, right? So when they brought in, in Ontario, they brought in the GTA, the 416 land transfer tax. So now we have yeah. two here. So when they brought that in, the market actually didn't collapse, but it slowed down quite a bit for a few months. But a few months later, it was back in business. People will adjust to this higher rate environment. It will happen, it will happen. Yeah. As long as we have employment, which we do, I think we're going to be fine.
1: Yeah, I agree. Okay, that's really interesting. And then, so if you were like a newer agent or if you're, like you've are like got a good size database and I'm sure you've got money stuffed in your couch somewhere, what's the address? We can come check your yeah. <laughs> couch for money. But like, what would you say to somebody who's newer? What would your advice be for them if they're trying to like, they don't have the database that you have and they're trying to like, you know, get through this, this period? Yeah.
0: So what I tell my students, doesn't matter that you don't have a database. You're going to have a database at some point. So I would say set it up correctly so that you could be doing this work three or four years out from now. But more importantly, there are databases for you to go after. Your clients have databases. So if you're working with a financial planner, for example, or a lawyer or a realtor, they've got databases and you could do this work on their database and make them look like a hero. Right. Right. That's what we're doing. We do this not only in our database, we do it on our partners' database. So that's what right. I would do. If I was a new guy getting into this, that's
1: exactly what I did. Jim, that's exactly what you did when you started. You went out and found somebody with a database and you said, hey, let's work out a deal. And then you immediately went to 100 million in a year because, isn't that yeah. correct?
0: Close. So I went out and got corporate clients and worked on their clients, didn't get their database.
1: But, but, th- but now- effectively, those corporate clients had databases, they had clients. And so you were selling one to many. One person got right. a big list versus one to one to one to one, you are like, hey, you got a list. If I get a relationship with yeah. you now, I can get opportunities. So That's
0: right, leverage your time, more of a shotgun approach for sure. So the other thing I would tell someone that's new in the business, hire an assistant. Don't wait to hire an assistant. A lot of us don't know what we're worth, right? One of the things that we talk about in our program is I ask all my students, what do you think they're worth per hour? And it's easy to figure out, right? So if you're making, pick a number, half a million dollars a year, you're worth 250 bucks an hour and you should not be doing anything that you can hire out for 250 bucks an hour or less. Right. Right? So even if you're new, hire a part-time assistant, this is a sales job, right? It's a sales job. It's not a processing job. Our job as mortgage agents could be out there selling, selling ourselves. And so I would tell you, you know, try to minimize the amount of non-sales activities
1: that you do. So I totally agree with you on the having an assistant and getting some help, like probably sooner than you think, because it'll allow you to focus more on sales and marketing. So if you were to hire, what would be the activities that you would start to get rid of as quick as you could? Like if you, again, it's a transition, but what would you try to get rid of?
0: I mean, if I was a new agent, I would definitely move off the document collection and verification. So that's kind of a mindless task, trying to piece together down payment from account to account. So any of the documentation. Piece, that's something we should not be doing as mortgage agents,
1: Right. Yeah. I think anything to do with fulfillment. Ryan Wiley, fulfillment. like, yeah, fulfillment basically from commitment to close. And so one of the things actually, Jim, I haven't told you this that we're working on is actually what I call closing specialists, which are somebody because I think a mortgage broker should do three things. They should sell, they should come up with a strategy, they should hit the submit button, and then they should move on and find the next one. Once that thing is approved, somebody else can get that across them. Like it's got to throw the ball to the 20-yard line, they're going to get in. And yep. so I have this idea that I think closing specialists are what most people need. And it's a, it's a variable cost. It's not a fixed cost. And it, I think that that actually would make a lot of sense. So what you're yep. saying, if somebody's doing 15 or 20 million, the best way to go to 40 is just don't do any of those. And oh, Ryan says on average, it could be four to five hours per file on crap on the back end. Oh, you sent me six of the same pages of my down payment, right? Oh, you need to sign this. You need to like this, all that stuff. None of that stuff is a good use of a broker's time if you can go out and find another client. That's correct. Yeah, Yep. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, and then what about interest rates? What do you think? I know you're not like really a you know predictions guy, but what is your sort of sense of like with the Bank of Canada and what you're seeing? Do you think that there's going to be some more hikes? And like, I'm just curious. I
0: think so. Yeah, I think we will. I think we'll see probably 50 or maybe even 100 basis points from now until the spring. Data is showing that inflation has somewhat peaked, but we have strong job growth. So that's not good. Well, it is good, but wages are climbing too quickly, and that yeah, they couldn't keep inflation sticky. up
1: because if there's a shortage of labor, the labor can then say, "Give me more money," which yeah. means inflation doesn't come down because wages will keep pushing them up.
0: Yeah, you know, I suspect we'll have inflation for a while. It'll be pretty sticky, and rates will stay higher than we anticipate. Right, this will kind of be our new norm, and I think the Bank of Canada will come back and say, 2 percent is no longer attainable. Three percent is
1: our new benchmark." It's kind of like when they say forty is the new thirty. Right. Yeah. yeah. Say like three is the new two, and they'll yeah. say this is acceptable. Yeah, I remember reading once. I watched a guy and he talked about the way you deal with the debt problem, the national debt problem, as well as the consumer debt. So you actually need to make five hundred thousand dollars not worth what it was worth. So if inflation actually makes debt less expensive, because it's like all of a sudden, you know, five hundred thousand dollars is not that much money, right? So that's yeah, something I never thought about.
0: Yeah, and and inflation the other- is your friend. If you're a borrower, inflation is your friend. Right. If you're, if you're a yeah. lender, it's not your friends, not so much.
1: Right, right, interesting. But if, with, with the
0: high inflation, you want to borrow as much money as you can, get as many assets under your belt, and let inflation take care of you.
1: And that inflation, yeah, that's it. And then the other part I heard about with the inflation, I don't know if this was a conspiracy theorist type dude, but basically inflation, because the taxation for people is based on income, right? If wages inflate, it's a way to increase taxes without having to increase your taxes, because now you're in a new tax bracket. You just... Oh, your wages went up. You don't effectively have any more money because the, all the cost of your goods have gone up. But you're now in a higher tax bracket, and therefore you're now paying more tax. So inflation also increases the taxes that people pay, which I was like, that's an interesting. Yeah, um, it
0: does because you take the time in increasing the brackets with inflation, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, that, and they're that, not going to make them lower. There's not like, oh,
1: we're going to lower that. Like, there's no way. So like, right now, then, if you're looking at, let's say you're a well-qualified borrower, you got good income. Are you still? Like bullish on a variable rate. If I was your customer and I came in and said I make good money, my PDS is you know twenty percent. I got like cash. What would that look like?
0: Yeah. So we're doing a lot of two year, one or two year fix right now. We're not doing very many five years. It's an issue. Take a five year today when we believe in the future, in the you know three years from now, the fix might be a bit lower than it is today. So a lot of one and two year fix. And for those diehard variables, we're doing variables. You know, I still believe in the variable for the right client, not clients who are, you know, tight for cash, you know, having craft dinner once a week is okay, but four times a week is not so much. So, you know, we bring our clients into two buckets, you know, that we get calls every day from clients who are in a variable, you know, what they should do. And we break them into two buckets, those who are ticked off that they're paying a higher rate, but it's not a cash flow issue and those where it is a cash flow issue. And that's the more problematic client. Luckily, we don't have a lot of those. Most of our clients, A well-to-do and it's not really a casual issue.
1: Right. Okay. That makes sense. And why the one to two year term you like? Because it just gives you time for this whole cycle to go through and potentially then to instead of committing for five years to something that may be sound continuous.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So the five years is too long. We think two years from now, rates could be probably flattened out or start to drop. It clearly is cheaper than the variable, right? Prime goes up under half of one percent. Let's say you're half a percent. You're six forty-five. You're over six percent on the variable, compared to low fives on a two-year fix. Let's say,
1: right? Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you this. So this is like ninja level. We've already hit ninja level one. This is ninja level two. On a two-year term, are you reaching the 13 months with them too, or is it different? Yes, okay, So really, the two-year term, it's like 11 months. I feel like I've like. The matrix, I just, wait a second, somebody reset, I figured something out. So you, it's actually, <laughs> even if, uh, the 24 months, you're actually talking to them at 11 months, right?
0: That's right. Right. We're talking to them 11 months later, and we're holding the rate 11 months later, because they're in the same boat, right? And yeah. at some point, if the rates keep going up, it'll definitely make sense to hold that rate for them. It doesn't work in a flat or dropping rate environment. It only works in a rising rate environment. It works right. really, really well.
1: Yeah. Okay. I feel like I've just like uncovered another, you know, another layer there. So tell me about your cohort. So you do, you know, the 10 months a month Academy, you're a coach, you've got rave reviews of people that have been in through your stuff. we're just literally scratching the surface. Of a few of the things that you touch on. Tell me about that. You started it how long ago? And then like, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I think it's my second year doing it. I think it's two years now. I got to tell you, it's the funnest part of my week. Okay, Dealing with clients is Not that much fun for me these days, but dealing with- We've done it
1: tens of thousands of times. Now it's like, okay, you can do it, but can you get other people to go out and replicate some of the things that you do? And I can see that being exciting because they come back and like, oh my gosh, Jim, you wouldn't believe like I did this and this is what happened, right?
0: Yeah. And that's exactly right. Getting some more success in other ways besides funding $400 million in mortgages. So it's going great. I mean, I've got great feedback. The only negative part of doing the coaching, I know it's supposed to be an hour long, I never go under two and a half hours per session. It's just that there's so much in each of the sessions. We break our sessions out, you know, six discussions. We talk about lead generation week one. We talk about how to win a client and never lose a client week two. We talk about processing week three. We talk about an important piece week four is post-close. What we do post-close to have our clients come back, right? So two-thirds of my business are post clients. There's a reason for that. There's a method to that. And then week five is campaigns, which we talked about the 13-month thing today. We have 13 of those. And week six is a free-for-all. We talk about corporate structure. We talk about money. And we talk about how much money people are leaving on the table. I'm shocked how many brokers don't know how much money they should expect per deal. Right. They trust the system, right? Yeah, yeah. And they don't keep a tally of what they got paid, what they should get paid. But the lead generation is really popular right now, but week one, you know, a lot of The students are coming out and implementing some of the things I told them to do, and they're building their business around, you know, I hate to say it, I'm not a big fan of realtors. I know you are, but we don't deal with realtors. We deal with these other professionals and doing the stuff we talked about using the database, et cetera. So it's going really well.
1: Right. Yeah, I know you're not a fan of realtors. Like, realtors, boo. They can work, and I think use realtors to build the database, and if you can build a great process... Your process will eventually attract enough clients that like that's the goal but they're usually the, one of the fastest ways it's not the only way you can go to financial yeah. advisors like you did you can go to you know accountants you can go niche whatever lawyers right know.
0: lawyers the big one that my students are doing now no one's talking to lawyers right it's a huge opportunity
1: right right that's interesting so where can people find you online man like if I'm looking to try to find more gym where do I okay. go do you must have don't a go blog or YouTube do not- channel. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know you don't.
0: don't. Don't go to my website. If you want a good laugh, go to my website. But don't go. I created that website 20 years ago. It's a complete joke. It's a piece of junk. I do no social media whatsoever, except for coming on ILMB and just typing in once in a while. Social media is not my thing. If you want to reach me, it's jimt.adventmortgage.ca. Just by email. Right. Simple, simple, simple.
1: Yeah, your website is pretty basic. <laughs> You know how many do do you know what? Actually, let's talk about this for a second. Like, so many people get so hung up on they think that they got to have this fancy website. If you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know how to find like it really is irrelevant. Like it does not matter. I don't think. What are your thoughts?
0: You know, I'll go beyond that and say a lot of people get stuck in analysis paralysis and they'll sit there and try and figure out what systems to use. Should I use you name it? Whatever systems are out there. I think there's multiple systems out there. People get tied up in trying to find the perfect solution. And I always say success in anything is 90% execution and 10% planning. So if you're waiting to plan something, I'll give you a very quick, funny story. So my, you know, being Greek, we're in the restaurant business and my dad had multiple restaurants and, you know, my, my brothers and I would close the restaurant at two o'clock in the morning. And I remember one instance when my older brother reached out, okay, we have 20 activities to do to close the restaurant. And my brother would sit down and he'd write a whole list of what has to happen, allocate that out. I remember my dad come over and. You grab that list, rip it up, say, get to work, you bums, and get the work done. (laughs) Rather than planning it out, you're spending more time planning it than it takes time to do the work. I think
1: your brother would make a good mortgage assistant. You
0: know? I think he would. But the point is, and I tell my kids this, don't look for perfection. Perfection is costly, right? right? Just get moving, get the stuff done. So don't wait for the perfect system, don't wait for the perfect time to hire somebody. Don't wait for the perfect time to pick up the call and make that call. A lot of us need perfect scripting when we call someone. There's no such thing as scripting. It's you, you gotta sell yourself, right? So.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. There's a great quote, progress over perfection. And my version of that is launch and learn. It's like, I can't actually, I got an idea, get it off the platform, get it out there. It will evolve, you'll improve it, hopefully learn from it. And you could spend so much time just trying to get everything dialed in right. And then the other thing that you touched on there is people get so focused on the tool versus the tactic. It's like, hey, just pick up the phone, like like the tool. What CRM you're using? Like Excel spreadsheet that's just got the right data in there that you can sort. Like the tactic is more important. How you use the data, how you run the campaigns is way more important than what particular tool you have that thing wrapped in.
0: Analysis paralysis. It's, It's brutal. Most of us fall into that trap.
1: Yeah, this is awesome, Jim. I always love chatting with you, brother. And if you ever come out to Kelowna, I'll take you to a Greek restaurant here and we'll go for dinner. Break some Sounds like a
0: plan. All right, Bye. we'll talk soon.
1: Hey, hopefully you found that conversation with Jim to be inspiring and enlightening. I know that I've took a bunch of notes and I'm going back to my brokers and my brokerage to be like, hey guys, we've got to implement some of this stuff right away. Then this next segment, I talk to Tom Hall, from The Mortgage, about taking advantage of the various communication channels. Hey, Tom, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott,
2: it's great to be back.
1: So, hey, what topic would you want to jump into today?
2: Uh, yeah, so it's something that I've been talking about a lot, and you know, it's something that seems to be pretty top of mind for a lot of people right now. I kind of view it as you know, meeting the client of where they are. That's kind of the fluffier thing that I would say. Getting maybe a bit more tactical with it is basically taking advantage of whatever communication channel your client likes best right? So, you know, very simple examples, people like a phone call, give them a phone call. If people like an email, shoot them an email. I was talking to someone the other day and they say they do all their business on Facebook Messenger. So if your client's like that, you know, doing it there. And so that's just, you know, a concept that I've really been internalizing a lot just because my opinion is in this kind of environment now that we're in where it's a bit tighter, these types of small things can make a really big difference.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's important that you actually try to match people's kind of tone. You know, they always say like, there's a thing in um, NLP where I try to match your body language and your, you know, and, and so, right. you know, you're not doing that. This is not like Jedi mind tricks, but <laughs> if people want to have texts, text, them. You know, I right. actually use Facebook Messenger a lot more than I care to admit. And I don't <laughs> yeah. know why, maybe because when I'm on there, I just feel like it's like a pingy like thing. And so that sounds great. on um, In theory, how do you keep track yeah. of it? Like, cause if you got yeah. a lot of client, that's easy, but what happens when you have lots of <laughs> them?
2: yeah yeah of course right anyone listening is like yeah that makes sense like i'd love to do that but how do we do it but we've been saying kind of taking more like the database approach you know kind of combining database with client journey right bridging that gap a bit and so when you start on the database side i mean that's the quickest win having something in your crm and we're seeing a lot of our really kind of top teams doing this right now and it's as simple as doing this of saying hey for tom or for sally or whoever i'm interacting with Having on their profile basically a drop-down of all those different channels, right? Okay, Sally likes text. Tom likes email. You know, having all these different things here. So at the very least, if you're George about to reach out to Sally, to <laughs> <You>
1: know, <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's not
2: fax. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think Dan Kennedy
1: yeah. used to like facts, or he would actually get his emails printed out and then he would no. read them. Like. Okay. Yeah, he'd be like, I, I don't want to read it on a computer. Printed, he'd get his assistant, print his emails, and then he read them and then write them, and then they would. Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: I had an old boss who printed a 20,000 row Excel sheet because he didn't believe in computers and he brought this big book of Excel to the meeting. But that's a story for another time. So, but, yeah, yeah, That's crazy.
1: Tom. Okay. <laughs> so basically, what you're suggesting is so in a tool like you guys have, Blue Mortgage CRM, you can actually just create a drop down with the different options and then select yeah. those as a reminder hey, this person prefers this mode of communication.
2: Exactly right. It's as simple as that. So, hey, you're reaching out to Sally. How does she like to be reached out to or by or whatever that right word would be? But then taking it kind of that next step I was saying is combine that with your client journey then. So now if you're kind of, you got your database set up and saying okay, I want to bridge and extend this out to now incorporate my database into my client journey. Well, that's what we see again, some really smart brokers doing where then they're saying, okay, I have this drop down already in my CRM. I already know how Sally likes to receive her email or her communications, I should say. And so then when they're setting up their client journey and their workflows, they're able to set conditions, right? So, okay, whenever I get an approval and I wanna let the client know about this approval, well, I'm gonna check the preferred communication style first, right? So if that equals email, shoot this automated email. If that equals text, shoot this automated text. If it equals phone call, create a task for myself to give them a phone call. And it's something that, you know, we see a lot of people doing with quite a bit of success, right? Because it is pretty nice to kind of match those. Okay, okay. So up.
1: I should have known you were going to go here, but I didn't realize you were <laughs> going to suggest this was going to be automated from a customer journey perspective using the CRM. So once you've identified yeah. that preferred communication modality, when they move through the customer journey at those stages, you could actually change what you're sending out. It could be text Absolutely. for some clients. Yeah. It could be emails for others and others could be pop up as a phone call reminder can it also link with like facebook messenger for instance or is that be done through like a Zapier? because is that possible or is it only like yeah it'd have Gmail?
2: to be something like a zap at that point so you'd have to kind of start going a little bit outside the crm but you could do it absolutely you yeah
1: zap, yeah i know that yeah. devante who works for me he's built zaps yeah. that are like he explains it to me and i'm like i don't understand all i know is that you push one button it, and it like just goes things, yeah things happen he's like <laughs> yeah the king of zap Okay, so that's really cool. So any other kind of thoughts or opinions on this?
2: Yeah, the only other one I'd say is, you know, as you're doing all these things, okay, it sounds great. Now I'm automating it. That's also great. But I think the key is also, as you're doing all these things, having a single source of truth, right? So, okay, yes, I'm going to be texting and yes, I'm going to be emailing, but having that centralized point again, where Hey, if I'm thinking about Tom, all those communications, you know, he liked emails at the beginning, then he switched to text, but I can go to one place and I can see it all. And that's really important. So whatever that is for you, but you know, for a lot of people, it used to be the inbox, but now as people are doing these different types of communication styles, you got to expand kind of that thinking to say, okay, is there something bigger, something smarter that I can just capture all these different types of interactions in a single spot?
1: Right. I like the idea of the single source of truth because your data is only good if you, if you actually keep it updated. Right. And so, yeah, we actually, so we use Blue Mortgage to keep track of all of our agent files and stuff. And I recently went in there and I was like, wait a second, some of the closing dates were gone. So then I messaged my assistant and said, hey, you need to make sure those closing dates are accurate. Because right. again, I can't run good reports and I can't know like how many mortgages did we fund in September, right? Like right. that was the question. I was like, wait a second. If you don't have the actual dates, it's a pretty yeah. robust tool. I could do so many. I mean, I'm sure I'm using a small percentage of it, but for <laughs> what we're using before, for, it works awesome. So, all right. So why don't you recap this whole idea of matching your client's style using CRM automation, and then, you know, basically that whole single source yeah. of truth.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, just, you know, now more than ever, people are getting more sophisticated, markets getting tighter, matching the client of how they like to communicate is hugely important and people are doing it and doing it successfully and so to do that you know it's not too much of a leap especially if you are using some sort of system to you know maybe automate your customer journey a bit getting smart and incorporating that preferred communication as a condition in your workflows right so being smart and saying if this person likes a text send them those text messages at every point but then keep it in mind always as you are doing these different communication channels bringing it all back to one spot so if you ever have any questions or your team has questions or you know for compliance purposes someone has questions you have one place to go and you can always check it there
1: you can check it out yeah that's awesome so if you guys are listening to this i encourage you to go check out BlueMortgage.ca. it's blue with no e you guys have a
2: great product at the end there's an e at the end not in the middle there's, a, there's
1: still an yeah. e in mortgage but there's not an e in blue <laughs> yeah. i guess B L U. blumortgage.ca and uh, it's a great product great tool we use it all the time and again you can build this thing to be extremely robust if you want to put some a bit of time into it and so i think it's awesome thanks man for coming to chat with me thanks Scott hey thanks again for listening to this episode hopefully you got a couple nuggets from my conversation with jim and tom If you're listening to this and you want to two things, one, if you want to set up a free power search account, you can go to I love mortgage brokering, set up an account and you can keyword search all of our past episodes and you can type in Jim's name and find all the past episodes and listen to them. And you can even when he says some of these great language and scripts, it actually, the text is on the screen. You can copy it. The key thing is to make sure you have it on full screen mode so you can actually see all the results. Otherwise, it just doesn't work as well. Second, if you are looking to connect with Jim, he is a coach in the 10 Loans a Month Academy that Ryan Wiley runs. So you can go check out 10 and find out more about how Jim can help you with more than just this one strategy. Thanks again for listening and I will see you in the next episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.